Well, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you? I pray that this morning finds you well. Um, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to close up the first chapter of Ephesians this morning, looking at verses 22 and 23. Oh, but two verses, but so full of truth, so full of truth. So Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, today we, we praise you for the word of God. We praise you that in your, in your providence, Lord, and in your, in your great love for us, Lord, from the beginning of time, that you would provide for us the full revelation of your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, what a gift that it is. And, and while we know that there are, there are tribes and tongues around the world that do not have access to this word, Lord, we praise you this morning that we can spend time on it because we know according to Jesus, that your word is the way in which we are sanctified, that your word is truth, and that truth is the way in which we shall live our lives, Father. So today, Lord, we, we tackle something that is, is very, very challenging for our hearts and minds to understand, the kingship of Christ and his authority over all things, and how his authority is made manifest right here today through your church. Lord, I pray that as we study this text today, Lord, that we will grow in more love for the bride of Christ, the church. Father, we ask that you use this time for your glory. I ask that through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you do what I am unable to do, Lord, and that's to transform lives today. Lord, for those who come here that do not know this Jesus that I proclaim, I pray that the word of God today, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would penetrate the hardest heart. Father, we give this time to you as, as an offering of praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we complete the first chapter of the book of Ephesians today, we're going to dive really, really deep into the, a profound truth in regards to Christ's authority, his plan for restoring all things through his church. 
when I first began praying about what to teach, when you called me to be your pastor, I began to pray even before about what, what I would teach in our first season together. Uh, depending on who you talk to, when you come in as a new pastor, it's always really a safe thing to jump into one of Jesus' Gospels and spend, spend a season, and that would have been beautiful as well. But I felt a great peace that this was the truth for us in this season was Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. I felt complete peace about that. It was this truth in this letter. And the reason for it, I believe, is probably something that's on my own heart about the truth of the church. You see, for me, growing up in deep east Texas, which some of you, if you've been there before, know that it's very well known as the Bible Belt. So... Within the Bible Belt of Deep East Texas, there is literally more churches than there are banks. There are, by, there are churches on every corner. And being a Christian and attending church within the Bible Belt, for many, has just become habit. I think for many people, when asked why you would get up this morning with the snow falling and it being cold, and I mean, when you look out, you're like, it's miserable out there. Why would I get up and bring my family to church? I think all of you, like, at some level, like, asked that question today, right? I mean, you had to, right? You had to, like, this would be a lot easier, right? Stay in my pajamas, drink another cup of coffee. But why today did you sacrifice getting out, getting on the roads, and coming to where God's people gathered? And I think for some, there's a lot, there's a very, there's a variation of answers to that questions. But for some, you realize how valuable the gathering of God's people is. And so my heart for this is something that I want us throughout this letter to dive deep into is what is God's purpose through his son Jesus in the gift of the church? the mystery of God found in Christ that is revealed to his church and only to his church. That's, what's, that's what we must always remember. Like this mystery that's put on display, this mystery in which Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians is only revealed through the body of Christ. Your gifts, the membership class has heard me say this over the past past few weeks spiritual gift inventories are wonderful do i think they're accurate no i do not because i believe that our spiritual gifts are put on display when we serve within the body of christ 
I believe that's where you begin to identify your passions and the way that the Spirit of God has gifted you. And that is just one of many examples of the beauty of the gathered church, the body of Christ. So let's dig in. It says, and he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The first thing that we must realize, and I know that this is a truth that you've heard your entire life, but it's something that we must recognize every day that we make the decision to come and gather. Every day that we make the decision and gather with two or three in his name is that the church is the body of Christ Jesus. The church is the body of Christ Jesus. There's no separating the two. Unfortunately, there are buildings that you will drive by that have the word church on it that Christ is not present. But the church that teaches the word of God as the authoritative truth, that the people of God gather with Christ and his truth at the center, the church is the body of Christ. God gave Christ as, as head over all things to the church. In verse 23, it refers to the church when it says, which is his body. The church is Christ's body. Think about that for a minute, how complicated that thought is. Think about it for a minute from the context of perhaps the pain that you've experienced Think about it in connection to you getting up this morning and coming. The church is Christ's body. This is an important moment in truth to be taken in. And it's really, really important, and you've heard it before, to understand that the church, ecclesia in the Greek, is not a building. The church is not a building. In fact, in the New Testament, the word church never refers to a building. And while most of us know this, and we've heard this, and, and to be honest, we've used it as excuses why we don't come to church on a Sunday morning, because we're like, well, it's not a building, so it's good if I just stay home. So we know this at, at like a psychological level, that the church is not a building. But this misunderstanding is one of the reasons why most miss the importance of the gathered body. So while, on one hand, while you say, I know, Chris, the church is not a building, our habits essentially act like the church is a building. Does that make sense? So our priorities act like the church is a building. Even though you say, I know it's not, our habits speak otherwise. And this is one of the reasons that it's misunderstood in our culture today, especially in the American culture. As I've shared with you before, 
David Platt wrote a book that I encourage y'all. I've got some copies coming. I haven't ordered them yet called Something Needs to Change. And he talks about the urgent call of Christ. And he's writing this book through his journaling while he's hiking the Himalayas. And he talks about just the great spiritual um, attacks of the enemy while hiking the Himalayas. But in one moment he talks about in the Himalayas where, where they're up about like 12, 14,000 feet. He, he wakes up out of his cot one night because he can't sleep and he wakes up and he sees these candles far, far away hiking up one of the switchbacks. And he asks one of the tour guides, what is that that I see there? He says, that's the church. They're going to meet. And so at 14,000 feet in the Himalaya mountains, the church of Jesus Christ is walking by candlelight up the side of the mountain to gather with other saints. Think about that sacrifice. That makes getting up this morning and going through a little bit of snow pretty not too bad, right? In China, in China, people are meeting underground in basements. They have cut in back doors to basements that, that no one knows about so they can crawl through these underground things so they can meet and worship the Lord. In the Middle East, the church of Jesus Christ gathers knowing that today may be the day that someone walks in there with bombs strapped to them and blows the entire building. The church of Jesus Christ. And so you see why I'm so passionate about this. Because here in America where we can freely get in our car and drive to any building that says C-H-U-R-C-H on it, it's just become something that we may or may not do. Because in our hearts, in our minds, we truly don't understand the importance of her. And don't hear me wrong on this. I understand that the church, for many of you, for some of you, is connected to deep, deep hurt. You'll hear me say all the time in, in counseling with you, there's no hurt like church hurt. And there's not. The wounds of those who claim to be leaders within a church and the pain that has been inflicted on people are open wounds that people carry with them a lifetime. And I understand while many are resistant to gather. And this is why many consider church as just another list of things to do with their time. And if she, the body of Christ, the church is just another option in a list of hobbies on our calendar. It's just a list of things that we can go and do this weekend, right? 
The sun's out. It's beautiful. Trail Ridge Road is open. I've heard Lake Haya High is a beautiful hike. I'd rather go do that than come and gather and sing songs to the Lord. In this part of the country, this misunderstanding of the true meaning of the church is why so many choose skiing or hiking or hunting or sports on a Sunday rather than gathering with the saints. I firmly believe that cultural Christianity is poison to the true church and her call. Because if church for you is just something that you just do to go come and make you feel a little better about the way that you live your life, and it's just an option of a lot of other things that you could go do, you're not worshiping the one true God. The church is Christ's body. Say that. The church is Christ's body. But the people of God, the disciples of Jesus, the elect from all the nations, they are the body of Christ. The church is the remnant of Christ's body until he returns. You realize that? Like when he ascended there, that the text we just read, Matthew 28, when he ascended into heaven, right? We know that he will return. But until he returns, guess who is the example? Guess who is called to put on display the ways of Christ? It's his church. On our best days and on our most broken days, we as Christ's church represent Christ. We see this so many times in the New Testament. We see it in the suffering of Christ and the display of his body, the church. Let me give you a couple of examples. You recall before Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, right? The scriptures uh, describe him by the name of Saul. In Acts 1, he was breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, right? He was there when the, one of the first deacons that they called Stephen was stoned. And they threw their coats at Saul's feet for his approval, but on his way to Damascus to capture and imprison Christians, a light from heaven flashed, right? Flashed about him. And in Acts 9, 4, it says, He fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not why do you persecute them, right? Not why do you persecute Stephen, why do you persecute me? Now, at this moment, Saul did not believe that Jesus was alive. He thought the whole thing was a delusion. He was persecuting what he believed to be deluded Jewish fanatics that sought a dead criminal as the Son of God. But that was not the way the Son of God, Jesus, saw this, right? When the Son of God spoke, he said, why do you persecute me? So not only is the crucified criminal alive, but he is so identified with his followers 
that to persecute them, you persecute him. This is the link between the suffering of Christ and the body of Christ. And this is something that we must make this connection to because I believe this lack of connection is the reason for the misunderstanding. When Christ was on earth, Christ had one kind of body, right? We learned this during the Advent season, a physical body like ours. Remember the incarnation of Christ. That's why it's so important that we learn that during the Advent season. And with it, he suffered and died that we might live. Now he is raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. But on the earth, there's another kind of body. And it has a name. She has a name. And it's the church. Christ was united to his body then and felt the blows of the enemy. And he is united to his body now, the church, and he still feels the blows of the enemy. He sees your suffering, church. He sees your struggle, and he suffers with you. Do you understand that? You don't suffer alone. He suffers with you. Let's look at another example. In Matthew 25, Jesus says to his people at the final judgment, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And they asked him, Lord, when did this happen? You weren't here. You were in heaven. And he answers, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of the brethren, you did to me. The brethren, the brothers of Jesus are the church in this context. If you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. If you show love and affection to the church, you show love and affection to Jesus. Put this on repeat in your mind. If you persecute the church, if you say awful things about the church, you persecute Jesus. If you show love and affection and dedication to the church, you're showing it to the Lord Jesus. The church is his body. It is a physical form of his presence on earth. Touch the church, you touch the body of Christ. The church is Christ's body. Let's dig a little deeper. Verse 23. And 20, let's back up 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. On a side note, isn't it beautiful just to think that Saul, who persecuted the church, who had so many Christians put to death, is the one writing these beautiful words. If you don't hear me say anything today, 
There is nothing in your life that can out the grace of God. Do you hear me? There is nothing in your life, not enough brokenness, not enough bad things that you've done that can out God's grace for you. And Paul is an example of that. And it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ fills all in all. Or if you look at this in the present tense, which is really, really important for us, I think, today, is that Christ is now filling all in all. This is an important to see the, the present tense of this verb. Many times, as Christians, we only think of the past work, right? When we open this, we think about that it's all in the past. It's all things that took place in the past, right? But we never realize the present, Christ is at work right now, today. In this moment, Christ is in the process of restoring all things. So everything that sin destroyed in the garden, Christ is in the, in the process of restoring. And there will come a day when we will live with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. He is restoring things today. The kingdom of God is at hand now. The work that you do today is for the kingdom. He says, in all in all. I love that terminology there. Because I, I really think that it encompasses everything. I take this to mean that Christ is filling every sphere of existence. Everywhere in the universe, in all the ways he so pleases. The best guide for us of what it means that Christ fills all in all is found later in Paul's letter. If you, if you flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verses 8 through 10. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He also descended as one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. Paul is talking about the way Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And in doing so, he broke the bonds of death by establishing salvation and captured for himself a host of captives. You know who that host of captives are? It's you and I. It's you and I. If you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, he captured you back to himself. This is the power of the resurrection. This is where you'll hear me say over and over again, at the resurrection was the greatest day in history because everything changed. You see, because of our sin and our brokenness, we were separated from God. 
Our Father God is holy and cannot look upon sin or have any fellowship with it. In our brokenness, there is nothing that you and I can do to earn our favor with God. If God is on top of that mountain, there is no possible way you and I can get to him by doing the right things. There is not enough law that you and I can follow to get to him. Our sin, our brokenness deserves God's wrath. Our sin deserves death, as he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. But God, but God, he loved us so much that he established a way of hope. He established a way. He sent his son Jesus. Jesus was born with a humble beginning, but it wasn't the start. He was eternal. He lived a perfect life. He was tempted in the flesh, but never sinned. His spotless, sinless flesh allowed him to be the sin offering God required. Jesus went to a cross. The wrath of God was poured upon him. He died the death you and I deserve. He did this in his love. He died in that grave. He died on that cross. He overcame that grave. And in doing so, he had established authority over all things, filling all things, and providing the gift of the church. Jesus did this that he might fill all things, establish authority over all things in order, ultimately, which we must always understand, with the end goal in mind to restore all things. There will come a day when the kingdom is consummated. There will come a day when you and I walk in perfect fellowship with our Lord and our Savior. What a day that'll be. What this shows in verse 23 is that Christ's purpose to fill all things is accomplished by his raising from the dead and ascending into heaven as victor over his enemies. In other words, filling all things, that terminology Paul used, is something Jesus does with the authority he has risen as ruler and king of kings over all things. That takes us back to our text today. Here Paul is doing the same thing as he was doing there in chapter 4, which which isn't it cool that we get to look towards chapter 4? That's going to be a fun one to preach, isn't it, Hadassah? It's going to be awesome. Describing the resurrection of Christ and the exaltation above everything and his triumph over everything. That's the reason we gather, church. That's the reason we sing praises. That's the reason we sing Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. If you look at Ephesians 1, back up a little bit to the text we looked at last week. Look at verse 20. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Notice the four things that God does 
for his son in that text. He raises him from the dead. This is the gospel. He gives him the seat of kingly authority at his right hand. He puts everything in the universe in subjection to him, which includes the evil powers. Every being which is now or will be in the future, he gives his son with all that universal power and authority to the church. And he sets as the head. Now in Ephesians 4.10 it says that, that he might fill all things. Just like verse 23 says, he's filling all in all. So the filling of all things is the effect of Christ ruling over all things. And the most natural meaning of the filling would be that he fills all things with the assertion of his rule. That is, he declares himself and his rights as he fully pleases. Picture him as king over many territories that are not, that are not fully subdued to him yet. This text is declaring that Christ is indeed the king of the universe. And I just don't think we think of we don't think of it this big. That's what I love about Paul in this. He's zooming way out of what this means at, at a creation level, right? So much bigger than us. He is above all rule. He is over every name. God put all things under his feet. He is over all things. And by his authority, he will sovereignly fill all his territories with grace and mercy and justice. He will accomplish his purpose in every sphere. And he will make himself unmistakably known in every place. Or as we would say here at Calvary, right? He will make himself non-ignorable in every space. He will be preeminent in every nook and cranny of the universe. Every corner, every moment is His church. Every moment is His. Even the outer darkness of hell will be filled with the authority of His power and His wrath and His knowledge even the darkest places he will shine light on. So when we apply this powerful truth to the connection that the church is the body of Christ and that Christ fills all in all, it must change the way that we live our lives. The glory of Christ will permeate all in all. That is, the glory of Christ will pervade everything in every way everything. We're talking in really, really big language here that does not leave out any of your exceptions that you may have in your mind because Jesus is Lord over all of them. There will be no place where his power does not hold authority to accomplish what he wants to put on display, which is the central truth, the glory of God. 
Let me repeat that for your wandering hearts this morning. There will be no place where his power does not hold authority to accomplish exactly what he wants to put on display the glory of the Father. And finally, as we begin to land, the church is the fullness by which he fills all things. And this is something that we must really take some time, and I want you to spend some time this week meditating on and praying about this truth, because I think this is the truth that our American culture has perverted the idea of church. Verse 23 says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This boggles the mind even further. Namely that Christ's body in his fullness, which fills all in all. The church is his body, comma, the fullness of him who fills all in all. His body, the fullness. His body, the church, the fullness of Christ. And I know for some of you, are like, you keep hitting on this over and over and over again. And, and like I used to always say to my students, like, when you've heard me say it 10 times, I probably need to say it 10 more, right? Because this is the truth that there seems to be a disconnect in. Christ and his body and the church. For some reason, for many of us, they're very separate. We like the idea of Christ. We like the salvation he offers. But the church, uh, they're, they were mean to me one time. I was deeply hurt by them one time. And they're way over here. They're apart. But in the scriptures, they're intermingled. There is no separation between the two. You cannot separate Christ Jesus from his body, the church. What this means is that the church is the body of Christ. It is the fullness by which Christ fills all things. The church is the avenue in which Christ puts on display his glory. The church is that avenue. It's not, it's not all the other things that you fill your mind with. It's through the church. Now, how does that fit together with what we have already said? We have said that Christ fills all things by asserting his authority over all things, right? And making known all things that he is Lord over. We are saying that his fullness with which Christ fills the things is the body of Christ. So what does this mean? What does it look like? I think in order to truly see this, once again, we're going to stay in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Flip over to chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 for a clue at this. Looking at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the, through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. 
Here Paul reveals the riches of Christ and the mysteries of Christ within the church. Now look at look where he's going here. Hopefully this hopefully this truth takes your breath away. Because it should. Because there has never been a more beautiful gift outside of our salvation than that which is the church. There is no more there is no more beautiful gift this side of eternity than Christ's body, the church. So this truth should take your breath away. The first thing is that the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom, the many-sided wisdom of God, the all-authority wisdom of God is being made known to rulers and authorities. These, are, these include satanic and demonic powers in the universe as well. Because remember it said, all things, right? All things. These are the very ones that according to, to, chapter, to verse 21 state that Christ is now seated above with his feet on them. He has authority over them. But we still spend our days in turmoil about who might be the next president. But the scriptures say that Christ has his feet on it. He has authority over all of it. Why, do we, why are we so weary of it? What Paul's doing here is he's allowing us to see that God's intent from the beginning of time was to fill the habitations of both demons and the saints with this manifestation of the wisdom, the wisdom that God ordained and planned and brought about to consummate the salvation of his people, the unfathomable riches of his grace. Not even hell will be left without the revelation of the glory of Christ, the wisdom of God. The other thing going on here in chapter 3, verse 10, is that this revelation that fills the inhabitation of the demons, the captives, those still in bondage. Hear me this. This is only made, this only is made possible. The avenue in which this, this revelation happens is through the church. It's through you. It's through you. During, our, during the membership class for the past two weeks, they've heard me say this. Your daily devotion before the Lord is imperative for me. You walking upright before the Lord, you spending time in the Word of God before the Lord, you praying on my behalf before the Lord is imperative because we are one body. We are not separate. But I know that we all, y all, we all live like we are. Like the Scriptures give the description that Christ is the, is the body, is the head, and we're all parts of the body. 
let me tell you this, like, if you're the right hand and you're not spending time in the, in the Word, you're going to be useless to us. And you're going to hinder us. You're going to debilitate us. Because we, the church, is the avenue in which Christ displays the manifold wisdom. Church, there is no plan B. Plan A is the greatest plan ever, right? There is no need for plan B, even though I'm a part of it. Because looking at my own sinful flesh, many times I'm like, God, I hope that you have a plan B, because if I am plan A, I'm only going to fail you. It's through the church. God's aim is to fill the universe with the glory of His Son, Jesus, by making the church the showcase of His perfections. The showcase. We as His body showcase to the world His mercy and His grace. That's heavy, isn't it? Is that heavy to you? It is to me. I love how John Popper describes this truth. He says, God means to fill the universe with the glory of his son by putting the church on display as the embodiment of Jesus. So God's plan before the foundation of the world was to gift his, his loved, broken people with the church, the body of Christ. And our purpose is not just to gather up here once a week and sing some songs and hug each other. Those are all beautiful things. Our purpose is to put on display the beauty and the majesty of Christ Jesus in every avenue of your life, in every corner of your heart. Christ fills the universe with his glory by showing the universe his body how he chose her, how he predestined her, how he came for her, how he taught her, how he suffered for her, how he died for her, how he rose for her and reigns for her, how he has called her, how he has justified her, how he has cleansed her, how he has kept her, how he has raised her, how, how he glorifies her and satisfies her forever and ever in him. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christ Jesus. The church is the avenue in which the gospel is proclaimed. There is so much more to say about this. There's so much more to proclaim about the beauty of the body of Christ. And I will expand more on this as we walk through this letter. But let's close with one final observation. And 22, and he put all things under his feet so that a sovereign ruler and all, he might assert his truth and right and power and wisdom in all the universe to fill all things with his kingly glory. 
And all of that is made possible through the body of Christ, the church. All of that is made possible through the body of Christ, the church. God did not exalt Jesus and subject all things to him and simply say, now go ahead, Jesus, fill the universe with your glory. Fill it with all things with yourself. Instead, the sovereign plan of God is that he raised him and exalted him and subjected him over all things and then made him one with the church. Remember, you cannot separate Christ Jesus from his church. They are one. Let everything from the highest heaven to the lowest hell be filled with the revelation of the glorious perfections of the Lord Jesus put on display through the church. So my prayer this week is that this truth would humble you. Honestly, I prayed that it would change the way that you live. And what's beautiful, when I saw the forecast, I'm like, well, I'm going to be preaching this to about five people, and so maybe, maybe the odds are good on that. But, like, look at you. You sacrificed sleep and pajamas and another cup of coffee and all the things to come here, right? There are so many comfortable things you could have stayed in at your house as football is about to kick off, Right? I pray that this truth humbles you. I pray that this truth changes the way that you live. That somehow you would walk fully in the beauty of Christ's church. Church, you hear me say this all the time. Look over to someone on your left. Look over to someone on your right. If you're sitting on the front, look back. Look forward. Look at people, look at some few people in the eyes. Look at them. We are eternally knit together. We are eternally knit together for one purpose, and that's to put on display the manifold wisdom of Christ. That's, that's why we're here. We are knit together with Christ as our head. We are the body of Christ. When we look at Ephesians 1 now in the full context of it, go ahead and look at it. Look at the whole thing that we've gone through. We, we, I think we've spent six weeks now on Ephesians chapter 1. I hope that we begin to understand more deeply this inheritance that Paul talks about, right? I hope we begin to understand more of the inheritance in the saints that he talks about there in the first couple of verses. That in choosing us, in predestining us for adoption, our redemption which He lavished upon us, our guarantee, our seal of the Holy Spirit. All of these things point to what? This beautiful promise here, right? Like He has equipped you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has given you a new identity in Him. He has given you the truth of his, your word in which to walk. He has given you the knowledge of him to grow and to walk in. Why? 
so that you might put on display the manifold wisdom of Christ in every corner of your life. At the gym, at school, at work, all things, right? All things he feels all in all. Through the church, the church is the avenue in which Jesus Christ fills all things. The church is his redemptive plan. The church is his coming kingdom. The church is the realized present kingdom. This is the true context of how Paul cries in prayer there in verse uh, what is it, 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? This is the church. She is more than just an activity on your calendar. She is your life. She is your purpose. She is the reason you were created to put on display the manifold wisdom of Christ. Press into this truth. I don't know what that means for you individually. I don't. I don't know what you have in your day-to-day that prevents you from pressing in this, church, this truth. But during communion in a few minutes, I want you to lay those things before the Lord. I don't know what obstacles it takes for you to truly walk in this today. But you know what I do know? I know that I have a God. We have a God that loves us and cares for us. And we can never outstand his grace. Press into this truth. Fall on your face in repentance if you're not living as his body. Walk in it. This is us right here in Grand County. Jesus and his authority gave us a command that I think gives us a perfect illustration of what this practically looks like. We read it a few minutes ago. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, one of the most... The most overlooked part of that verse is one of the most beautiful for most of us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me pray for us.